Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, that was his wife, by the way, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, that's the son, and to the church that meets in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God, my God, as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I should be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, Paul, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him who, was, who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I was in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord Jesus. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And people of God, this is the word of the Lord. The letter to Philemon is really very, very unique among all the letters that Paul has written. All of the other letters in the New Testament that Paul wrote were written to churches. Uh, the ones to Titus and to Timothy were written through those individuals to churches. And all of, of course, the Galatians, the Romans, the Corinthians, those were letters written to churches. Philemon alone, of all the New Testament letters from Paul, was written to one individual as a personal letter. Why that is, there's been a lot of speculation over all the years. Um, a very interesting theory came out in about 1930 out of the University of Chicago School of Divinity. There was a, a, a P 
PH, uh, a scholar there who did some research on this and discovered that while during the time when the New Testament canon was being assembled and they were deciding, okay, what's in, what's out, what, you know, what, is, what is authoritative, what's not, and they did that, I believe, and I trust you do too, by the leading of the Holy Spirit. But that, was, that happened in the city of Ephesus, and there was, at that time, the bishop of Ephesus was about a 70-year-old man by the name of Onesimus. That's no proof that it's this one and the same Onesimus, and that through his influence, he's him saying, and again, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I want that book in the canon. I want that as a part of God's word to us. But what we do know about the bishop of Ephesus at that time, Onesipus, Onesipus was that he was a slave as a teenage boy and one in the city of Colossa. It's tempting and may even be likely. There's a couple of other evidences that are similar to that, a little more complicated, and I won't get into them. But whether or not this Onesimus is the same as the one who uh, was vital and very important in the assembly of, of what goes into the New Testament and what, what doesn't, the, the fact that this is in here is, is a wonderful, wonderful thing for us. Because it shows what we were talking about earlier, earlier the, the role of the gospel in the transformation of not just people's lives, people stepping from out of darkness into light, not just people getting saved, being born again, but the role of the gospel in the transformation of society. And we're going to see tonight, I believe, that what we have here in Paul, who does this thing that, you know, today we say, how could he do it? Didn't he know that the seeds of abolition of slavery are inherent in the gospel? That he wrote Galatians 3, uh, 28, in which he said, in Christ all are one, male, female, slave, free, Jew, Gentile, it doesn't matter anymore because of Christ because of this new thing that has happened on history's stage, in the history of the world, there is now a crucifixion and a resurrection that have the implications of that are vast and far-reaching to the point where there will one day be no discrimination about who's slave, who's not, who's woman, who's not, who's Greek, who's Jew. Who, it won't matter. We are all one in Christ. That, the seeds of that, that great leveling that the gospel brings, are, are, are in the gospel. But yet here in this little letter, Paul does what a whole lot of people think is, is, a, is a contradiction. He sends a slave, an escaped slave, back into slavery. Sends him back to his master. 
And a lot of people over a lot of years have wondered, how could he possibly do that? How could that possibly be? What we see, are going to see, I, I trust, in this little book is that the thing that happened in history, the crucifixion and resurrection that has changed everything, has its effect on this story, but in a partial kind of way. The brute facts of it, dear friends, are that there were about 80 million slaves in the Roman Empire at the time. And any escaped slave, any rebellion at all, was squashed brutally and without any compunction at all. It was slave rebellions were an unthinkable thing, and Rome had an iron fist, and that was not to be tolerated because it would result in the upheaval of society. There would be, if, if the slaves were all suddenly set free, and that was, that was one of the arguments in the United States just 150 years ago, that you know, we can't do that, we can't, we can't set the blacks free because the, the, the whole economic system is just going to go in chaos. We, they'll be all, there was all that kind of thing. There were a lot of people saying, in 1865, we can't do it, we're not ready yet, maybe someday, yes. That's what Thomas Jefferson did. Thomas Jefferson, when he wrote the Declaration of Independence, he owned slaves, he knew it was wrong, and yet he said, we're not ready yet. We, can't, we, have, to, we have to mature more, we have to grow more. Some more pieces have to fall into place before we can finally say, Okay, yes, now we all are, now all men are created equal, as he writes in the Declaration of Independence. So, so that's, that's what we have here. We have the seeds of transformation are there, and the promise of it is full and uncompromised, and the direction of history, history the progress of history, even with its step backwards sometimes as a Great and terrible civil war, for instance, uh, was, a, was a clear, uh, people have thought, man, if we ever, if we were making progress, it's reverse now. Um, but still, but still, there was a movement then there. If you, if you have the perspective of the, of the story of scriptures, that gen Genesis to Revelation story of that one day the whole of the earth will be filled with the glory of God as well, Waters cover the sea. If you have those, those hearing devices and those glasses, those specs on, through which you view what happens to us and what has happened in, in the, the history of the world, you can see it. And we can see it here, too. What are some of these, these particulars? It seems very, very clear that Onesimus robbed his master. He might have stolen actual property, but what he did was he stole himself. He was, at that time, he was property. He was owned by someone else, and he stole a valuable piece of property. He was a thief, and for that, he could rightly have been made a, a brutal example of, so that nobody else 
got ideas about freedom and about equality and stuff like that. So Onesimus, he wasn't going to stay in Colossa. Colossa was a tiny little village at the time. He'd have been found. So where would he? He would go to Rome because there you can hide. Rome was huge. Rome was vast. And somehow, by the providence of God, Onesimus came to Paul or somehow became acquainted with Paul. And Paul, through the agency of the Holy Spirit, led the slave Onesimus to the Lord, to faith in the Lord, in the very same way that he had formerly led Onesimus' master, Philemon, to the Lord. So that, that's a coincidence. That's, that's what we, we call, that's amazing. That, that we call that a God thing, don't we? We say, wow, the two, different, two different people, such vastly different circumstances, one at the very dregs of society, at the very lowest of the low, the other rich and powerful, both brought into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ through the agency of Paul. It's a marvelous coincidence, if you will. I would call it a marvelous providence of God. How Paul got the news that Onesimus was formerly a slave of Philemon, we don't know. Probably through the whole process of conversion, of coming to know the Lord in a personal way, Onesimus had said, I've got something I have to tell you. I'm a runaway slave, and maybe I stole this or that from my, my master, or who was your master? I'm, of course, creating a, a dialogue we don't know that happened, but something like this very likely, at, well, Philemon of Colossa. Philemon of Colossa? He's a brother in Christ. He's... He, can you imagine the look on people's faces? Paul, all proud, a Jew's Jew, firm and so proud of that genealogy going all the way back to Abraham, so proud of his distinction as, as an educated, brilliant person, a leader, now transformed into... Uh, a character of an altogether different sort, and then this slave transformed into a character of an altogether different sort, brought up from the dregs to where Paul calls him. He says, he, he's my son. Paul was all about biology and heredity and pedigree. But now he called a slave his son. And then Philemon, you mean Philemon of, you know, the Philemon of Colossae? Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine the scene when that first dawned on Paul and Onesimus that they knew Philemon, both of them, from very different perspectives? It, it, it thrills me to think of it. But it is, friends in Christ, the power of the gospel. The power of the transforming gospel. Now, Paul says, you know, Philemon, here I am in chains. Life is hard. 
you know, in my dreams, I would love for him, Onesimus, to be able to stay with me and help me like you used to. Uh, and so Paul gives voice to that. You know, it's a human. He says, I, I have needs, and he could, he could help me. But, but Paul says, but I'm sending him back to you. I'm sending him back into slavery. And he knew full well that Philemon could do anything at all that he wanted with Onesimus. He could make a, a brutal, frightening example to any other of his slaves or any of the sit- slaves of the city of Colossa that you don't even think about running away. He could, he could have done that. And Paul well knew that he was sending this now son, this loved person, whom he had been in the leadership of transforming into a, 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 a son, a brother in Christ, he was sending him back into a frightening situation. But he sends him back and says, even, even so, and sends him back. How could he do it? How could he do it knowing that now this Onesimus was now kinfolk? Not a slave, but kinfolk. Part of the now spiritual pedigree. Beloved, a son. How could he send him back into what might, prob- might likely be a certain and terrible death and, and much, much suffering? How could he do it? Well, he trusts the resurrection. He, he, he says there is this, this other thing that stands in the middle of this whole trinity of you, me, and Onesimus and Philemon. There is the resurrected Christ who makes all things new, who has changed the game entirely. It is a new situation. And so in verse, in verse 16, Paul says, I'm sending you back, sending him back to you, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and now, Philemon, your brother, this former piece of property. That was radical, radical thinking. Paul didn't say, okay, we need to end this hated institution now. Slavery has to end because it's just wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong, and it will... It, it will destroy the lives of many. Paul, Paul, didn't, Paul didn't say that. Some of us wish he would have and maybe had led a, a, a powerful revolution and, and that, that all people everywhere would be free always. But Paul didn't do that. Paul recognized that the gospel wasn't all about, entirely about bringing revolution and changing society instantly into the sort of place that he thought it ought to be. It wasn't a call to instantly apply Galatians 3.28. The day is coming when there's no such thing as all these divisions, these social divisions, male, female, slave, free, Jew, Greek. It doesn't count. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't about leading a revolution that was going to instantly apply that. But, and so he sent Onesimus back into slavery, but with an incredible difference, with an amazing transformation. He says, 
I'm sending him back to you no longer as a slave, but as a brother. And friends, that kind of transformation does not happen outside of the new life in Christ. It cannot be. And I guess for, in terms of application for us tonight, I, in the instances of life where you look at your life, look at your week, look at your day, and say, you know, I, 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 thought, I, I thought I had it all figured out. I, I, really, I really believed I was getting somewhere, and we've all had those kind of days. Here is a call to recognize what, what Paul said to Philemon, Paul said to Onesimus. There is a newness about our lives. And it, it doesn't instantly change um, sow's ears into silk purses. It, it, it doesn't. But there is a story here. And we are moving. We are advancing. And sometimes it's a step back and two steps forward and a step back and two steps... But nevertheless, the kingdom of God is coming. It is irreversible. It cannot be denied. Jesus said, you know, the, the gates of hell cannot prevail. This is going to come. My eternal life that I have already begun in Christ as I have, as I have risen from the dead the first fruits of the resurrection, it's yours also. And we are moving in that direction and in an undeniable direction. It cannot be denied. It will happen. We are one in Christ. And so it's because of that that we can look at our, uh, our defeats, our failures, our our dismal failures sometimes, our triumphs too, our, our victories, our, our sweet overcomings that, that once in a while, uh, and may they increase more and more all the time, we pray, we can have a breakthrough. We can see new, what used to be really, really murky through that glass darkly, now is somewhat more clear. It's partial, Sure. Until the day of the Lord, until Christ returns on the clouds with the shouts and the, and the trumpets, and the, the whole earth will be filled with the glory of God as waters come to the sea, there is enough of the world being filled with the glory of God. And I would claim for you, and ask you to claim for yourself, that insofar as your heart is given to Christ, insofar as this new life faltering and sometimes unsteady, though it sometimes feels, if that is yours, then you have this newness. You are a part of the territory of the whole creation that is filled with the glory of God. And, and our hearts, as we look to Christ, as we trust in Christ, and insofar as we look to him and trust him, in faith, knowing that the eventual outcome of this story is certain and sure and true, and that you, that I, are a part of it, and there is no denying it, not ever, then we can look at 
the times we've failed, the times we've disappointed ourselves, those who love us, those, those who look to us, those who trust us, in, insofar as we have sometimes disappointed and failed them. Yet, even yet, partial though it is, there is a greater truth that trumps that one. And I would urge you, insofar, and especially if you're struggling even now, even uh, lately, with, with something that seems to say, no, back, 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 you're, don't forget about it. It's not, it's not the truth. You, it's not for you. If there's something that's, that's clawing at you like that, I would urge you to hear the gospel in this story. Paul is saying, uh, we have overcome, and the victory is ours in Jesus Christ. There's, there's two, then, brief, though the letter is, two wonderful stories of transformation. A transformation of a slave owner, proud and wealthy and affluent, into a brother, and the transformation of a slave, low down and miserable and, and frightened all the time, into a son. And then Paul says to Philemon this beautiful thing, if you receive me as a brother, this one's my son. And I'm sending him back to you that way. So, Paul didn't say, okay, we're going to end the hated institution right now because it's wrong. And I certainly, certainly believe he, he, he knew that. But he did say, we're going to change it, at least in this little bit. For your heart and this man's heart, there is a new situation. And praise be to God, we can say that about ourselves as well.